Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Colton Pouncey. I'll be riding solo today, but we do have a great episode in store with a great guest I think you all will enjoy. I caught up with former Michigan State linebacker Darian Harris, who played from 2011 to 2015 and was around for some of the best years of the Mark D'Antonio era. We talked about the different opportunities he has going on in his life right now. We talked about his playing days at Michigan State and got into topics about the current coaching staff and young talent on the roster. For those who don't know, Darian was a journalism major at Michigan State. That's not an easy thing to do when you're a Power 5 linebacker. (laughs) But I do think his background really shows in interviews like this. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard him on radio shows in the past. The man is good at what he does, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation that we had. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, we now welcome in Darian Harris, former Michigan State linebacker, Big Ten champion, and a man who still closely follows the program. But before we get into Michigan State and some of the storylines surrounding this team, Darian, how's life been? Uh, what have you been up to recently? Uh, it's good. Um, you know, living downtown Detroit, so uh, oh. definitely enjoying that. Um, yeah. You know, got done uh, coaching my first full season at Wall Lake Western, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, making it to the state semifinals was a lot of fun. Uh, getting to play in another final or, you know, be a part of another final four in a different uh, regard was was fun. So um, life's definitely good. It's just great. You know, been blessed uh, post-playing career for sure. And uh, just looking to keep, you know, continuing to to live and to give back in as many ways as possible. Right. Darren, you kind of do a little bit of everything. I mean, you've called spring games in the past. I mean, you wrote some stories for the Athletic Detroit first when we were first getting started up a couple years back. Um, You know, you make these weekly television and radio appearances with Jack Ebling. And and like you mentioned, you coach football now. I, I think it's just like this impressive work ethic and your versatility really shows. I applaud you because... Really, all I can do is just write stories and make dumb jokes on Twitter every now and then. <laughs> I'm curious, where, where does that drive come from for you? Um, definitely comes from my family. You know, my parents are incredibly driven people. Uh, my brother as well. You know, my younger brother is in his last semester at Yale. Um, okay. You know, went on an a- academic scholarship. So he's always been my my inspiration, which is, um, it, it's actually, it's ironic because that's why I always laugh at like the little brother type stuff that we get uh-huh. from, you know, U of M and then, that then we give back to to U of M and the little brother, little sister stuff, which I just think is the dumbest stuff in the world because, like, my my little brother is my biggest inspiration. So it's really not an insult to me um, when anybody would say it to me because I'm like, yeah, I actually am kind of trying to be like my younger brother. But um, I, I get it from them. You know, my, my parents taught me to, to be versatile and multifaceted and never just uh, to never just be an athlete. Um, and, you know, LeBron is, is my favorite athlete probably right now, uh, current currently playing. And, uh, you know, he has that slogan, more than an athlete, um, I really just try to follow that day in and day out and just try to set an example for for the younger generation and for the youth that sports is great. Um, it opens up a lot of doors. You know, being a pro athlete is cool and all. And I was blessed and fortunate to have that opportunity. But it's about what you're able to do after the game that really matters. Yeah. How much for that? How much of that for you was kind of like, I guess, experimental and trying to fi- figure out what you want to do after football versus your own personal interests and things like that? 
Yeah, it was incredibly experimental um, because I think what you find is, um, you know, football is is uh, in any sport really is not ever going to be as long as you want it to be. I mean, we saw, you know, obviously Luke Keekley re- retire um, mm-hmm. in this past week um, at 28, you know, and I'm about to be 27 in March. So, you know, when that career ends, you know, for me, it ended at 25. Um, you got to figure out what's next. And I think everybody kind of wants to transition into something that kind of still fits the bill of being in, in entertainment and, you know, having their their face out there and their voice out there. And for me, that was going into media. But then what ended up happening was you don't just you don't always just walk into like a full time gig with with media, as I'm sure you all both know. Um, right. It's 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 a process, um, even for former players. It's a process. So um, I had to do the, the freelance and, uh, you know, kind of the things I'm doing now sporadically. Uh, while while trying to continue to pursue a career, um, you know, in, in media full time, but obviously also, you know, bills got to be paid and things of that nature. So you got to kind of got to suck it up and 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 get a job, get a few jobs, um, have something that 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 you know provides some stability for you, while also then pursuing your your passions. And fortunately for me, I've been able to to set my schedule up to where I can do that. But I've also accepted the fact that um, I'm going to have a strong enough work ethic to where. Um, I just, I don't like to have wasted time in the day. So mm-hmm. if I got to go to work from, you know, eight 30 to, to four or nine to five, you know, from six to eight, uh, I'm going to be doing something else. Or from, you know, three 30 to five 30 with coaching, I'm going to be doing that. Or if I have to go do something from six to eight in the morning, I'm going to be doing that as well. Or if I have to do something on Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to be doing that. Uh, cause there's a lot of different things I want to pursue and I want to keep getting better at, um, and at the end of the day, I just feel like there's always time to do those things. Right. I mean, it's fascinating to me. Like, what, what's a typical week for you look like? I know you're, you know, you're involved with coaching and you, you make these radio appearances, but can you kind of walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, which I guess, you know, for the football season, um, it was, uh, you know, it was work from um, 730 to 3.30. You know, I was uh, doing a lot of marketing for, for Big B Coffee um, in the Southeast Michigan market. So, it in, 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 you know, it included a lot of field work, um, being in the stores, working with the owner operators on their marketing plans. Um, then it was going straight from there to practice. Uh, you know, you, you go to practice. That's obviously Monday through Friday, including the game uh, where you have practice from about three thirty to six. Um, and then after that, it was it was headed to the gym. Um, so definitely have to get that gym time in. Uh, and I like to do it in the evening um, on the weekends. You know, Saturdays was, you know, planning days, coaching days uh, in terms of coaching meetings and things of that nature. Um, and then Sundays was press pass. <laughs> Um, so yeah. that was, a, you know, it's an hour and a half uh, drive one way to Lansing and then you take the hour and a half drive back uh, for me, you know, being in Detroit now. Um, and, mm-hmm. then, you know, you have your Thursday radio hit as well um, that I did on, on the drive with Jack. Um, and then, you know, once the season ended, you know, I just I just supplemented it with other things. So whether it's charity events, um, whether it's getting ready for a charity event I have in March, actually a Dancing with the Stars thing, which is going to be pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. So like today, for example, you know, once I'm done with work. You know, got to head to dance practice of all things uh, <laughs> at four o'clock and get that in, and then still got to hit the gym. Um, and and so I just, you know, uh, I'm blessed with a schedule that allows me to do a bunch of different things. But like I said, I don't like to have time in the day that I'm sitting around doing nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And if I am, you know, quote unquote, doing nothing, then I do the regular things that you know people my age do. You know, I'll pick up video games, of course. Um, you know, I'll, I'll read. Um, you know, I'm on my second book of the year, so. Um, I just, I just, I don't like wasting time is, is really what it comes down to. And, uh, luckily I'm, I'm able to fill it with a lot of different things. All right. I got to ask, are you a good dancer? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I'm getting, I'm getting better. I'm learning. You know, it's, it's obviously, uh, it's, it's actually not that much different than like sports or football. And, okay. um, it's, it's a reason why if you look at like the national dancer with the stars, like Emmett Smith won the first one, mm-hmm. um, uh, like a lot of like professional athletes and football players have won just cause of footwork and really understanding like body, uh, movement and placement and structure and, um, just, you know, how to, how the physics work with, with somebody else, like having to, uh, move with somebody else. So um, it's been a lot of fun, you know, learning this tango, and uh, we'll see what happens in March. But I'm I'm a competitor, so I'm I'm you know it's it's all for charity, and that's that's fun. But I'm going to win this thing also. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> um, so you were really one of the first MSU people I met. Um, you know, I was hired in June of 2018. Um, about a month later, I went to Mike Sadler's Celebration of Life. You know, a great event out in Grand Rapids yeah. each year. Um, so I, I met up with you there and talked to some former players. Um, and really kind of got a sense of what MSC was about at, a, at an event like that. Um, but I guess my question is, how often do you keep in touch with those guys that you played with? It seems like you guys are in contact a lot. And how would you describe those relationships from your playing days? Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk every day. I mean, you know, I'm talking to them, you know, right now. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Tawan Jones, uh, Donovan Clark, Trey Waynes, um, Demetrius Cox, uh, Arjun Cohoon. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on uh, with guys that I talk to, you know, daily in, in group chats. Um, I mean, right now we're discussing, you know, the, the stuff with OBJ that's going on right now. Like we, we talk mm-hmm. constantly. We talk every day. You know, in the case of somebody like Trey, we talk, you know, throughout the week. We talk after his games. We get feedback from him. We give him feedback on what we saw. Like it's a, it's constant. And I think that that's always what I have loved about Michigan State. It's a true family. Um, it's, it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. Everybody's incredibly close. Um, you know, whether it's football, basketball, women's basketball, um, field hockey it, it just everybody's extremely close um and including um you know the quote-unquote regular students you know there were so many people i met in my master's program that i'm still close with um that i've talked to frequently and i think obviously with social media it helps you know staying in contact with people but um you know i talked to a bunch of people from all different classes um you know just literally throughout the week all the time and uh, it's definitely been a blessing to, to have those relationships that'll last a lifetime mm-hmm. I know a lot of those guys still follow the team closely. Um, you specifically arrived at Michigan State in 2011. Um, that was around the time this program began to turn the corner. Uh, before that, you know, Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State had kind of been in that 7-9 win range, uh, 2010 Big Ten Championship, and then really broke out when you were on campus. Uh, what was the excitement level for the program like back though in those years? It was incredibly uh, exciting. You know, we, um, you know, we, we, you know, specifically in my class, I mean, we committed in, in 2010, uh, before any of the championships. So we, we committed with the the understanding that Coach D was building something there with the program and that we wanted to be a part of it. And kind of from the first day that we all got on campus, we wanted to really make a mark and then leave a legacy in Michigan State, which we were able to do. Um, and the excitement was, I mean, it was, it was astronomical, honestly. It was nothing that maybe we ever expected or anticipated. Um, you know, I kind of joke about it now. Um, but I mean, Michigan state was never supposed to be that good at football. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, that's just kind of from an outside perspective coming from a different state. That's kind of the vibe I got. But when we got to that certain level, obviously the expectations came with it. And for the most part, um, throughout, the, throughout my tenure there, throughout the years that we were there, we were able to live up to those expectations and it just, it made for a great vibe, uh, around campus, it made for a great vibe around Spartan nation. Um, and that's just mainly what I'm looking forward to getting back to. I mean, people were excited to go to school there. You know, I think after the Rose Bowl, like, uh, you know, um, 
admission spiked. I mean, everybody wanted to come to Michigan State. Like, it was just, it was crazy. You know, it was an exciting time. And I think that's why our relationships now are so strong uh, because we had those great times and those great moments and won all those championships. Um, but, we, you know, we did things the right way. You know, we did it through hard work and determination and development and getting better. None of us came in with a big head. We weren't all really highly ranked and, and, and highly uh, recruited, you know, players coming out of high school. We just came in with a different type of work ethic and it paid off. You're from the D.C. area, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So as an outsider, I mean, coming from out of state, I guess, what was your initial impression of the program back then, you know, when you were being recruited and you don't, you don't have the institutional knowledge that, that someone might have if they're from the state? Um, so I guess what was your impression of the program back before the winning started here? Uh, it, that it was just it was a family. Um, and it was always going to be a family. And like I said, that specifically with the football program, it was a brotherhood. That's why I committed. That's why I decided to, to come out here. Um, I knew on my first visit that it was going to be the place for me just because of the coaching staff, because of Coach D and the guys that he assembled to be a part of his coaching staff and because of the, the team. You know, I remember back on my recruiting visit with, um, you know, being in the apartment with Benny Fowler and Tony Lippitt and Mylon Hicks and Keith Nickel. And it's just like here, here are these guys that are, you know, three, four years older than me. And it, it just it doesn't even matter. There's no there's no hazing. There's no treating anybody different. Everybody's just there having a good time. Um, and, and being a family. And uh, that was really important to me uh, because I knew how important that was to having success on the field. It definitely was a direct correlation to the success we had on the field. And I, I knew I wanted to be a part of that. And I just, I don't know, I just think we, we all had a feeling that something special was brewing and that we really wanted to be a part of it. And it was a combination of all of that that ended up in the, the crazy run um, that we had, you know, especially that 13 to 15 run, you know, 36 and five in three years, which was just, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've had plenty of highlights at Michigan State. Um, I'm sure one of those highlights was making it to the college football playoff. You know, not a lot of programs can say they've made it there. Michigan State is one of them. That 2015 season in general, does that CFP spark memories from that 2015 season? When you go back and you watch these games now, you know, LSU and and, and Clemson, these teams, uh, does that kind of spark memory when you're watching those games? Oh, of course. I mean, just the the fact that uh, that we were there is uh it just is it's unbelievable i mean only 11 programs total have made it to the college football playoffs uh since it since it's began uh so just to be one of those one of those programs is incredibly special to have had the opportunity to literally be on top of the world for that week i mean you're down in dallas you're you're the you're the center of sports media for a week um you know as a college kid it's just it's crazy it just it doesn't make any sense sometimes i mean i'm i was doing live sports center bits with tom rinaldi i mean it just because they knew it was in, i was in journalism i mean i was just it was it was crazy tom rinaldi just handed me the mic and he's like i heard you're a journalism major major close us out you're on live sports center so just things like that were um they were they were just crazy and it was it was it was truly a blessing to to be there and uh you know as i as i always say you know i know the score doesn't necessarily reflect um you know how i feel but i felt like we measured up that game i felt like we belonged i felt like we deserved to be there and uh, I felt like at, at that moment we were on the same level as the elite uh, college, you know, college programs in the country. Right. And I, I mean, we both know how quickly that sport can change. Um, back in that year, I mean, you played against Derrick Henry and that Alabama team. That was a true ground and pound Alabama team, especially when you have a dude like Derrick Henry. Um, I guess when you watch Monday night's championship and see a guy like Joe Burrow slinging it around, breaking records um, and how teams like LSU and Alabama that have, traditionally been run first offenses kind of modernized things what does it tell you about the current state of college football 
Um, you know, it tells me a couple of things. I mean, it's, you know, I think that on the one hand, I guess, especially in the college game, I mean, that, that spread it out attack, if you have the weapons to be able to do it, um, it's, it's going to generate a lot of success for you. You know, it's, it's, especially if you have a defense behind you that can, that can measure up as well. I think that's the key. You know, when you look at Pac-12, Big 12, specifically like the Big 12, like you look at a, a, a school like Oklahoma, they have the offense, but the defense doesn't necessarily follow. So I think you also have to have the defense behind you um, to be able to sling it around and, and, and throw it, you know, 40, 50 times a game. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, you look at the pro, the pro game. I mean, obviously Kansas city is special in what they do, but what the Tennessee Titans are able to do is they, they have a running game and a running attack that we haven't seen in the last several years, I think to that degree. Um, and they have a strong defense. And I think that running the ball in defense is always going to prevail in some type of way, especially in the National Football League. But I think in college you can also, if you can find a way to really hone that in. Um, but in the, the day, you know, it's more fun to watch Joe Burrow slinging around, chasing Jefferson, and I definitely didn't mind uh, seeing that. I mean, 60 touchdown passes in a season is just, it's unheard of, obviously, because it's never happened before. So so Nick Saban had a quote from Monday night's pregame broadcast, and essentially said that the game's kind of changed over the years. Um, he mentioned there are more RPO-based offenses and new concepts that have been kind of um, in, involved in the game now. He also said if you don't adapt, you're never going to be able to have enough explosive plays and score enough points to win these big games. Do you agree with that assessment, or do you feel like each program has to do what's best for them? Uh, I, I I agree to an extent. I think that that you know that second point you made is is important. I think that you have to be able to do what's successful for you. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you have, uh, you know, obviously a healthy Tua <laughs> and then you have Jerry Judy, yeah. Henry Ruggs and, and, uh, you know, and Smith on the outside as your receiver core, I mean, you can, you can just tell them to run and they're going to get the ball. I mean, so it just, it depends on personnel. It depends on obviously who you have at quarterback. I do obviously, uh, think that, you know, play calling <laughs> and who you got at the helm comes to effect. I mean, I, I, to be honest, forgot that Joe Burrow was the starter at LSU last season. Um, I thought this was his first year starting because you never even hear about that season mm-hmm. because, you know, Joe Brady's not there. There's a lot of different things that, that factor into into that, into the season he had um, outside of just that he's an immense talent. So I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. But, you know, I did see those those quotes from Saban, and, and I do agree to an extent that you do have to adapt to the times um, it, just in any sport, in football and basketball with what Steph Curry has brought to the NBA game with the run and shoot. You got to adapt to that, um, or else sometimes you're gonna get you're gonna get run off the court or or um, and run out of your own you know own stadium and in football. So um, yeah, you definitely have to adapt, but you also have to do what your program is capable of doing. Right. So I do want to transition to Michigan State's offense now, which I'm sure you know has been a hot topic around here. Um, by the time you left in 2015, I mean Michigan State's offense was still running a lot of under center stuff, you know, using the fullback and you know, kind of that era of, of offense back then. But I mean, when you watch Michigan State's offense scheme last season under Brad Salem, uh, how different did it look from when you were playing? It doesn't look that that much different. Um, okay. I, I think they actually did spread it out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they put the ball in the air a little bit more. But again, it's all about personnel. It's all about who you have. I mean, we had five. NFL offensive linemen and uh, NFL running backs in the backfield. And, uh, you know, Elijah Collins will have an opportunity to be an NFL running back, I believe, if he keeps up at this pace. But, you know, we knew how special a, a Jeremy Langford was or a Le'Veon Bell was. And then if you look at, you know, offensive line we had, I mean, there's, there's a reason that, you know, Derrick Henry is a great football player, but, 
you know, he's also got a nice right tackle and Jack Conklin blocking for him as well. Yeah. Um, that's clearing some holes for him. And we had that. We had the Allen brothers. Um, we had, you know, Donovan Clark and, and Cody Keeler. And, you know, so the, our offensive line was incredibly strong that where, where we could pound the rock, pound green pound, run the ball down people's throats and have success. Um, but I, I thought that Coach Salem called, to be honest, a great season. I thought that, um, that you know, if, if Daryl Stewart stays healthy for the entire year, some things may be a little different. And uh, I think that some of the young receivers got some much-needed experience that will go into the next year. Um, I thought Brian Lewerke was um, – he did what he could. I, I thought he did what he could truly. And I think that once the offensive line continues to beef up and get a little bit better, um, that we're going to have more success with that, with that system that Brad Salem brought in. Um, we're not bringing in the air raid. This is not going to be, um, you know, Texas Tech's air raid and stuff like that. So I think that, in, you know, thinking that that was going to happen um, is just it's, it's foolhardy to think that that's going to happen in Michigan State. But I do think that to the degree that we used to just run the ball, um, things have definitely changed. Right. So I know a lot of the fan base looks at, you know, these statistics and, and production. I guess since your last season in East Lansing, MCU hasn't ranked higher than 96th in scoring offense. Um, this past year, MCU was 104th in scoring, uh, 22 points per game. It seems like there are some new elements here of the offense, like you mentioned with Brad Salem and more creative play calling and things like that. And he might need some time to recruit to his system and things like that. But it's the same production we've seen. So is, is that kind of a difficult balance for a coaching staff and a program when they're trying to modernize things a little bit, but they still have to kind of wait for players to come in and learn the new system? And, and, and do you think it takes time to kind of figure it out? Yeah, I think it takes uh, a lot of time. I think, yeah, you have to get the right guys in to be able to to make that system work. And, again, I just I think it starts up front. I think offensive line is the hardest position to recruit um, mm-hmm. based on, you know, what I've heard and from, from you know, very credible sources that are actually having to do that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, offensive line is difficult to recruit, but I think that it starts – there with that um there's not a lot that you can do without a strong offensive line and i think all of these schools that are putting up 50 and 60 points a game their offensive line is incredibly strong um you know you look at even oklahoma you know they may not have had the defense as i said but their offensive line was all and is a whole nfl o-line you know lsu's o-line is probably all going to play in the nfl alabama you know the list goes on even clemson obviously strong offensive line so i really think it starts there giving your quarterback an opportunity to have time to make plays um, and also having a strong enough offensive line to run the ball when you need to run the ball. Because um, it's not like, you know, if you look at Clemson, you know, Travis Etienne was averaging seven, eight yards a carry for an entire season. So they're obviously still running the ball in some regard, especially with having a guy like that in the backfield. It just, when when you hand him the ball, he can run for eight, 10, 12, 15 yards a pop. It almost, it looks like that, that you know, high level spread out offense because all you're just seeing is long gains and long plays. You still have to have a running game to be able to do that. Um, and it starts with the O-line. Mm-hmm. So it's January 16th right now. I think most of us are kind of waiting to see if any staff changes will be made. You know, a lot of programs across the country may change immediately after the regular season. Uh, some coaches prefer to wait until after the coaches' convention, things like that. Um, Mark D'Antonio said he'll wait until after the season to kind of evaluate things. But, Darian, you played for these guys. Do you think this program could benefit from staff changes, or do you think this is something that can be solved internally with the guys on staff right now? Uh, a little bit of both. I think that um, there's a lot of guys on the staff that bring a lot of value. And, uh, you know, obviously I haven't played for those guys. You know, I love those guys. They they, they did a lot for from, for me and for my career and for this program. Um, and they deserve, you know, to, you know, kind of retain their jobs and try to figure it out. You know, on the other hand, I think that 
it's always good to have new voices um, in in the room. I think that this youth movement throughout coaching, I think, is really good. Um, everybody talks about relatability. I don't think that's uh, that's hyperbole. I think that's really important to have coaches that can relate to the players, especially in this day and age of social media and how fast things are moving for for the younger generations. Um, so I just think having some younger players, younger guys on staff, would be important as well, um, while also retaining some of that old. Um, not necessarily, you know, old in, in age, but just in terms of having been there for obviously, you know, 12 years um, and having seen the success and having known what it takes to get there, um, having a mixture of both, I think would be really good. Mm-hmm. I think when people talk about Michigan State and, and what's to come, you know, a lot of seniors just graduated or left. Um, a lot of people point towards the young talent on this team. Um, Elijah Collins will be a retro sophomore next year. Um, you know, you got some promising young receivers. I guess when you look at this team and, and, and the 2020 season ahead, what excites you about the young town on, on the squad? Yeah, definitely skill positions, I think, is going to be incredibly exciting. I mean, you mentioned Elijah Collins. I think he's, you know, with a full season starting um, and knowing going into the season, knowing he's going to be the guy. Uh, I think he's going to put in the work, the work in the offseason to get even better. Uh, Julian Barnett, you know, do you play him at corner? Do you play him at receiver? It's always good to have those options. We've seen those two way guys. Tony Lippett, Justin Lane really have success at uh, at Michigan State. Uh, you know, Jalen Reed, the transfer from West Virginia, or excuse me, uh, Western Michigan at receiver. I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, you know, you're not a freshman All American for no reason, and uh, I think he's going to be really explosive in the slot. Um, and then I thought, you know, Trey Mosley really came on late as well. Um, so definitely excited to see those guys. Um, you know, especially on the offensive end. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with Rocky Lombardi and Phil Day, you know, who kind of emerges as, as the guy. Uh, that's obviously as important as it gets. You know, this may be the most important um, and and focused upon quarterback, I guess, battle, we could call it, in recent memory because you're going into another season not knowing necessarily who the guy is. So I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention in the spring to see kind of who can emerge and, and, uh, and take that spot. Because um, I always say it's, it's really important to know who your quarterback is because you got to know who to look at as a leader uh, of the team, of the offense, uh, as, you know, as players on the team. So it's incredibly important. I think that somebody kind of establishes themselves early and takes a reign as, as QB1. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, can you walk me through the mindset of maybe a defensive player when there is a quarterback battle? Because obviously that's the most important position in the game. And I think a lot of the fate of the team depends on who you have. You know, when Connor Cook emerged, this team really took a step forward and had that 36-5 and five run. Um, so when, can you kind of walk me through a defensive player in the spring and, and fall camp and how they're kind of viewing competition like that? Yeah, no, I think that, uh, you know, when, when you see that there is a battle and nobody has necessarily, you know, taken it, because um, you'll know when, when one of the quarterbacks is is the guy, you know, it's it's – all of a sudden, you know, there's just a discrepancy is too hard to ignore. Um, you just you feel like you have a little bit more onus on your shoulders. You feel like it's some of the games are a little bit more up to you, but you have to be up to the task. Um, you have to be up to, you know, to the challenge. And we saw a little bit of that in 2013 where, you know, everybody talks about how the defense outscored the offense in the first few games. And then obviously Connor took over and was the guy. But up until that point, we didn't know who the guy was, but we knew defensively, um, some of those games are going to be in our hands, and we, we we took on that challenge. You know, I think that that's that's why you you go to a school like like Michigan State. That's why you are a, a Division One athlete. 
so that you can go out there and perform to the best of your ability. And I think that that's, that's what makes a team great. You know, on defense, we think we can win the game um, our, ourselves. On offense, they think they can win the game. When you put that type of, uh, you know, type of vibrato together, that's how you get a winning program. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, for a defensive player, when you're going up against these quarterbacks and, and practices in the spring and things like that, how early do you know who the guy is? Does it really not settle out until the fall, or do you kind of know early on who that guy is going to be? I think it, it it probably has to get into the fall. I mean, we've had some instances where some guys have looked really good in spring, and then uh, it kind of changes in the fall when you start thinking game plan and things of that nature. Um, that's a whole different entity. I mean, I you know I can speak to to personally on that. You know, it's just you know I always had a better spring I felt like than fall until my senior year when I knew I had to really click it in gear. Because mm-hmm. spring there's no game plan. It's kind of it's not it's not necessarily backyard seven on seven, but you're just you're running your own stuff. So. Yep. You're not you're not worried about getting ready to play Michigan or Ohio State. You're just you're just having fun competing against your own your own guys, your own brothers, and you're developing your craft. Once you get to fall camp, yeah, you're kind of competing for a spot. But you know, once you're about a week week and a half into in the camp, you gotta start getting ready for that first game. And when that game plan comes in, now uh, things get a little dicey. You know, in terms of who can study a game plan, watch film, and prepare in the best way. Um, obviously, you know, if the talent discrepancy it just is is that wide in spring, you'll you'll know who the guy is. But um, I think it usually takes to about that first, you know, probably that first week of camp. So you're really sure, like, OK, whoever solidified as as QB one really is the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned the coaches a little bit. Uh, you've been on the other side of that now. Wild Lake Western. Um, I'm sure it's been a complete 180 for you. And, and I know you mentioned a little bit, yeah. but uh, what has that experience been like? Uh, it's it's been phenomenal, um, you know, in, in the first year uh, because we were winning. You know, I think that that's, you know, just being honest, that helps. Mm-hmm. But seeing it from the other side, I mean, it is. It is it is a complete 180. I mean, you, you you tell a kid to do something, they don't do it. You know, it's like who whose fault is that? Does that fall on you? Does fall on them as a player? Yeah. And I think that a lot of those, you know, a lot of the things that even maybe we were seeing as former players at Michigan State that then the coaches were getting blamed for, um, we talked about it all the time. Like I was sitting with uh, with Tawan watching the 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 game against Illinois. You know the game where they blew the the twenty eight three lead, and it's like we're seeing missed tackles and 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 stuff like that. And it's like a player will miss a tackle, and you hop on Twitter, and everybody's like, "Fire Dan Tony." It's like how does that correlate yeah. to somebody missing a tackle? They don't teach you to miss tackles. We don't we don't teach a player to miss a tackle or to blow a coverage and stuff like that. Um, but it, it is, it's challenging. And, you know, for us, like I said, we lost in the, in the state semis to, uh, to, to the Muskegon on the shores. We ended up beating King in the, in the final, um, uh, we lost by a point and you look at, uh, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you the, the third and 17 that we gave up and what coverage we're in and who messed up. I can tell you the fourth and 12 we gave up and the coverage we were in and who messed up. And then I can tell you who messed up on the two point conversion that lost us the game. Um, but the, the truth is we all messed up. We messed up as coaches for maybe not calling a timeout in a certain situation. Obviously, the players messed up by, by blowing the coverage, but maybe we should have harped on that coverage. Maybe, you know, I could have done a better job of teaching a linebacker how to run the alley better. So all those things go through your head, especially when you don't win or when something doesn't go the right way. Um, and I think as a coach and as a player, we all take the responsibility and the blame and uh, we just try to, you know, improve and get better. So that's you bring up a good point, and I think um, with that perspective, I mean Michigan State, you know receivers, I think finished tenth nationally in drops this season. You know there are a lot of penalties and things like that that kind of ruin drives. 
Um, so I guess when you're watching with that added perspective of, of being a coach and things like that and, and having that player perspective, how much of the season was player execution versus coaching errors or things like that, in your opinion? Um, probably a bit of both, you know, maybe 50, 50. Um, I, I might even lead towards maybe more 60, 40, uh, 65, 35, honestly, to a player, just cause that's my mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I have a player's mentality. I coach with a player's mentality, uh, to where I don't, I don't really care what the coach calls, what, what play call it is. Um, I'm going to make a play. And if I don't make a play, it's not because the coach called the wrong play or called the wrong coverage. Cause I didn't make a play. Um, and, and hopefully the players have that mindset, that attitude. I know my former teammates and my friends do, uh, to where obviously, yes, the, the coaches have to come with a, 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 the right game plan and, uh, the things of that nature. But once you're in the game, you're in the game. Um, and I'm just going to make a play. And I even, you know, coaching this year got, when it got to the end of the season, you know, we had a, our middle linebacker was, you know, first team, our dream team broke the, the, uh, tackles in the season record this year. Got to the point where, you know, he'd come up to me and he'd be asking me a bunch of questions. And I'd just be like, hey, Brandon, man, you got 186 tackles this year. Just go make a play, man. Like, you know, obviously we love questions and I'm not I'm not saying, you know, don't ask questions. But I also kind of am saying don't ask questions like stop asking questions. Stop. I can't tell you what to do all the time. You know, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to happen. I can't tell you um, exactly how the offense is going to run this play, when they're going to run it. Sometimes you just have to go out there, be an athlete, be a ball player and go and go make a play. And I think that when you come with that mentality and that mindset, that's what you see a lot of the times. I mean, you think that Joe Brady is telling Joe Burrow to run around 12 times, spin, twirl, jump through a hula hoop, and then throw it across the field? Like, no, Joe Burrow is just going out there and making the play. And uh, I think that to that extent, you know, some of that maybe maybe was lacking with the players this year. Um, but I fully expect that to come back next year. So for you, what's the biggest thing you've learned in your role as a coach this year? um patience um definitely patience um and just just how to communicate and explain things in a way that uh people will understand them mm-hmm. um I, I think that's the main thing um you know especially being at uh being at a you know a public school like Wall Lake Western we have uh you know we had a few guys that are going to go D1 but we also have guys that may never step on a football field again uh after they're done playing in high school mm-hmm. so because of that, you have to understand that they, they can't do what you can do. They don't have the natural ability that you have. So I can tell somebody to do something until I'm blue in the face. Maybe they just don't have the ability to do that. Um, and I have to be kind of sympathetic to that point and realize that I was blessed with a certain level of athletic talent that not everybody was blessed with. So now how do I get this person who loves the game and who's trying his hardest to to put himself in a position to be able to make a play and be successful um, based on their ability? And I think maybe that's why I think that's that's where the coaching comes in. I think that's maybe why people look at Michigan State's coaching staff and get frustrated because they're like, it's kind of is up to the coach to put the players in the best possible position uh, to be successful. So I do think in that regard, I definitely take responsibility and ownership um, when players are just they're not put in the position to be successful. I truly want all our players to be successful, no matter their skill level. Um, and, and especially because our players work hard and they should be rewarded for that. Do you see a future in coaching for yourself, maybe at the next level? Um, I know you have a lot of eggs in, in a lot of different baskets right now, but it seems like you really enjoy it and it seems like a good fit for you, honestly. Yeah, I've thought about it, definitely. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a, there's always a big clamoring on Twitter for me to get, you know, somehow a Michigan State staff. But <laughs> that that's something I have to decide for myself. And I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the, the fanfare and the, uh, the campaign that's kind of behind that. But it's got to be something that I want, you know, that I truly want to do. Right now, I truly want to coach at high school. 
you know, I, I'm, it's not, it's for nothing other than the fact that I feel like I can impact the youth and impact kids um, at the highest degree at the high school level because they're getting them before they get to college, um, you know, as they're growing up when they're right, right about to become a man, you know, about to turn 18 and move away from home. And I feel like I can have the biggest impact and influence on them while they're in high school. That's why I decided I wanted to coach in high school. That's why I decided this year that I wanted to get back on the sideline and do that. Um, it's all about impacting youth, you know, and if I can do that and I feel like at a collegiate level that that, you know, has a bigger impact than I have at a certain time in high school, then I'll transition to that. Um, but for right now, um, it, it's high school, which is where I feel like I'm best needed at. That sounds great, man. Um, before we let you go, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to plug? I'm actually excited for this Dance with the Stars event now, so maybe you can talk about that a little more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the link is uh, the link to donate is actually my pinned tweet on Twitter. Um, it's, uh, it's the Michigan Dancer with the Stars that we do through the Arthur Murray Dance Studio. And I am uh, supporting Kids on the Go, uh, Kids on the Go Charity, which is a foundation that works with special needs kids um, in the in the Detroit, you know, Detroit, greater Detroit area. Uh, myself and Tawan Jones do a ton of work with uh, that organization. Christy Shana, who is the, the founder and CEO of, of Kids on the Go. There's just tremendous work with these kids, um, and and we, we get to spend so much time with with these kids that are on all different you know parts of the spectrum, and they're just the happiest, um, you know, most fun uh, group of kids to be around. Uh, we love them, we love spending time with them, and uh, this gives me an opportunity to donate back to them in a special way. So, um, you know, my Twitter is at dharris underscore forty five. The link to donate is my pinned tweet. Um, you know, a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there goes a long way and the kids are really appreciate it. Awesome. Um, all right. Thanks so much for the time, Darian. Really appreciate it. And, and your perspective on Michigan state. Um, so take care and hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. All right. That'll do it here. A reminder, we're going to continue with episodes in the off season. So make sure to check those out when they drop. Thanks again to Darian Harris. And thanks to you for listening. So for Chris Vanini, we'll be back next time. I'm Colton Pouncey. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to the road dog, Jesse James. I still don't know who that is. (laughs) We will see you on the other side. Mm